Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to a holiday edition of Pod Strickland. This is the post-Christmas pod. This is episode 153. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and I am joined by my co-host, Stacy. That's at StacyPat89. Stacy, how are you? How was your Christmas? What up? It was, uh, it was pretty good. Got plenty of uh, plenty of eggnog. That's good to hear. Uh, very healthy beverage. Yeah. Uh, I should say so. <laughs> How about yours? Uh, it was good. I didn't really do anything. Uh, my sister got Omicron, so we had to cancel those oh. plans. And uh, I just went to my parents' house and had a bunch of Indian food. That was about it. Hope she's Which okay. is fine. It was very delightful. Um, so, yeah, that's what I did. And I watched the Knicks play. And I watched the Celtics. It was my dad, who's a Celtics fan. So that was really fun. Um, Hope your I sister's did. okay. Yeah, she's fine. She's not. She's asymptomatic. Um, so anyway, uh, on to more um, enjoyable topics of conversation. But uh, before we get started, I have to make the announcement of all announcements. Uh, the one I make every single episode now. Uh, we at the Strickland have a Patreon now. Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash the Strickland or on our homepage at the Strick.land. This pod right here, Pod Strickland, on Mondays will remain free. Draft Strickland is free. Alex, Zach, and Matt's mail.bag, which we'll be uh, releasing again this week, is free. Uh, and we will likely be adding another podcast to the lineup, which will also be free moving forward. Things that are changing, Pod Strickland on Friday with me and Prez, and my mailbag with Jeremy and Drew will be on the $6 tier and above. Uh, my solo pod uh, will be on the $9 tier. But the reason to actually subscribe to that tier is not tier more of me ranting and raving. It is for exclusive weekly articles from Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best writers around in the Knicksverse. Uh, if you want even more access to us, you can join the $15, $30, $50, or $100 tiers, which include many benefits ranging from watch parties, sitting in on pod recordings, guest appearances on podcasts, and even hosting a podcast yourself where you can tell me I am a jackass. Uh, no matter what, if you are a Patreon or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And we're going to start talking about the Knicks now. Uh, the Knicks won. The Knicks won a game. And they didn't just win the game. They won the game probably in the most convincing fashion. They've won a game since, I don't know. It's been a long time. I really I couldn't tell you. Um, I guess you could say the Pistons game, but I thought this was a much better performance i thought the defense was tight for most of it um some sloppiness perimeter in the perimeter rotations in the first half but um yeah i thought it was a lot better i think talent wise even even with the depleted roster the the hawks just have more talent than the pistons do right now um so i don't know i was just a lot more impressed with it and i just thought the performances from i mean i think you would say at this coming into the season you would argued what that Julius and Kemba were the two most important 
players in the team. And it really felt like this was the first game all season where they really, not that they both played well, but that they both played well in kind of harmony with each other. Um, I don't know if that's a reach, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't think it was Kemba's. I, I'll, I'll put it like this: It's encouraging to see Kemba have a game. You know, we had he had the forty-four point game. He's been shooting the ball a lot better, but he didn't really shoot the ball well yesterday. Um, but still had a great impact. I think he's starting to. Um, I think early in the season, right? It's one thing if his explosiveness is diminished, but just you're seeing a lot of that tentativeness and not knowing when to pick his spots going away. Um, and perhaps like, you know, I don't want to get too much into litigating the benching, but it may have been helpful for him to take a step back and watch a little bit, um, you know, and, and kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of change in perspective can, can allow you to reset. So I, I think he was, he's playing really well. Uh, look, anytime Julius Randle shoots six for nine from three, you're going to take that. It's a very um, nice number. That, I mean, that is. Of everything we've talked about with him, that is the oh, I didn't, <laughs> didn't even think about that. Um, but of everything we talked about, yeah, he's shooting the ball like worse than worse than he did in New Orleans, right? Um, so I think a lot of us expected him to maybe go down to mid thirties, but um, you know, we've talked about the decision making and all of that. But the reality is, you know, the shooting was a big part, and if he can get back to mid thirties and like a decent clip for mid range. Um, you know, that's, that's more important than even like playmaking and all of that. So, um, those two guys, uh, that's what you want from him. And Kemba's going to have to keep this up. Um, hopefully not 40 minutes, um, with IQ and, uh, possibly McBride being part of the rotation, but, um, you know, with Rose out, I mean, I would have said Rose is the second most important player on this team, if not the most important one. And, um, you know, so the stakes got higher and, uh, and Kemba's been showing up to play. So it's, uh, I don't know if you caught Kemba's post game yesterday, um, but look, I've seen a lot of, and I, I get it. He deserves all. He does deserve all the credit. I'm not. This is actually not even to take any, anything away from him because uh, he's played amazing since he's come back. Uh, not amazing, but I mean, I would say he's played about as well as I could have expected him to play, even coming into the season. If you had told me he was going to do this all season at the start, like before the season even started, I'd have been like, great. That's awesome. We're going to make the playoffs. Like 100% we're going to make the playoffs. Um, obviously, he didn't start off the season that way. But I thought what he said was interesting because they asked him, you know, they basically gave him another chance to be like, are you like, you know, does it feel like vindication? Like that kind of thing. And, you know, he's like, I'm not even thinking about that anymore. And then what he actually said about what I thought was interesting is he talked about how he has a tendency to try to please everybody and not just play his game and be aggressive and that, you know, uh, since he's come back in, he's felt like he's just doing that now. Maybe it helped him. And I'm not saying like, I, trust me, I'm not. Tibbs did not bench him in this like, like he was not playing some like 5D chess move of like, I'm going to bench him and then I'll bring him back. And like, this is going to unlock him. And this is what like, it wasn't that obviously he's benefiting from some, uh, I guess it's weird to call it fortune, but yes, the fortune of like, having guys being injured, missing guys because of COVID protocol and being forced to play him again. Um, but I don't think he plays like this if he just stays in the rotation. I really don't. I, I, I think he needed that. He needed to get an edge back. We said it before he even got benched. I, I mean, I, I can't remember how many times I tweeted and talked about it, but I was like, 
I just thought I was watching a player who had lost that edge and not, not like in the sense of he was out of shape or, you know, he didn't care anymore, but you can care and not be playing with the necessary fire in the game. Um, which isn't to say that you don't like, you're not trying to play to win, but, but you have to play like, you know, I don't even know necessarily how to explain it, but you have to play like with, with the idea that, you know, every possession is as important as the next and that it doesn't matter that you were an all-star and that you have been all NBA and that you're Kemba Walker and you've done XYZ things. Like you have to play like you're proving that all the time. And uh, I just thought I was watching a guy who, again, I'm not, I don't think he was mail. He wasn't mailing it in that, that would be ridiculous, but he was just not, uh, you know, it felt like, he just didn't know how to be the guy that he's been his entire career. And he wasn't even trying to be that guy. It felt like he was trying to be some other version of himself. Like, you know, we talked about it a bunch where he was like, why are you playing like George Hill? Like we like, that's not who you are. And there's like, you can't play like George Hill because you don't do the other ancillary things that George Hill does to add value um, to make that acceptable offensively. Like you have to play like Kemba Walker has to be a high usage, high volume guy to get the value you want out of him. He cannot be a low usage guy. He can't just be a caretaker point guard because he's not giving you some amazing defensive value. He's not a versatile defender. Um, he, like he's just not that type of dude. So he has to be playing well at a high use in a high usage capacity, and he has done that now. And like yesterday, like he didn't shoot well, but I had no problem with it because I thought he was still like. He was forcing action. He was making the defense honor him, um, and that's really he wasn't the key making a whole to, lot of mistakes, right? So yeah, not making mistakes, and and even when he did, like yeah, there were a couple. I mean, he had a couple of he had an assist where he like dribbled into a double team, and then like Capella stripped it, but then somehow Kemba stumbled into it, and then he kind of threw like a defect a deflected pass to Obi. But like even if it hadn't gone through to Obi and he hadn't finished it, like I wouldn't have cared because I mean I might have cared, but I, I wouldn't have like been that pissed about it because that's an turnover you're getting in the uh in the action of trying to create something and trying to you know help your team win it's it was the possessions like you know look we see this now with burks right uh where Bur when burks has to play point guard you know there's plenty of stuff with julius that has been annoying and he had a great game yesterday too and we'll talk about him a little later but like um some of the stuff with him that i think is unfair that he gets too much criticism for uh, is like when you have point Burks, Burks just brings the ball up the floor. He takes like, you know, the full eight seconds to get it across half court. This is not a knock on Burks either because this this isn't, we're asking way too much of him, but like he gets the ball across, uh, across half court. He turns back to the defense a lot, yeah. right? Like old Mark Jackson style, except right. at like 35, 40 feet. Which right. And then, and then like he gets the ball up there and then he just tosses it to Julius without having scrambled the defense at all, without really having done anything. Just tosses it to Julius against a set defense 23 feet from the hoop. And it's like, okay, Julius, we cleared out the side for you. Go create something. And I just don't know how that's reasonable. Like, I don't see how that is, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think not even reasonable, but I just, I just don't think that, like, like these are, like, so what you were getting from Kemba in the beginning of the season was a lot of stuff like that. But, and then, you know, like, that's just, you, you can't have that from him. He needs to be more than that because... Because, I mean, what the fuck else did you sign him for, you know? Um, so it's been awesome to see him play the way he's played since he's come back into the rotation. 
Uh, do I think that like this proves Tibbs was wrong? No, I don't. I think Tibbs was absolutely right to bench him when he did. And if anything, I thought, I think maybe you should bench more guys. I think you should bench Fournier at times. Like I know Fournier had a nice close to the second half yesterday. Um, I would say that I'm still the least impressed by him of all the starters. Um, I just, I think like, if anything, I wish, I wish Tibbs would maybe be a little bit more forceful and disciplinary, I guess, in some ways, maybe a better way to put it. At least with the vets, Uh, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With some of the vets. And so like, I don't have a problem that he benched Kemba. I just think that like, like maybe Kemba needed it. Maybe that's what Kemba needed to like get pissed off get that edge back, get that fire back and start playing like Kemba Walker again. Because I'm sure that before that happened, Tibbs was like, we need you to be aggressive. We need you to score. Like, I I don't think there was a coincidence. Like he's kind of hinted at it in a lot of press conferences before Kemba was bent. So um, whatever it happened, happened. And, you know, ultimately right now, the Knicks are benefiting from it. And that's all, you know, uh, I, I can be, I'm happy about that. And I don't really give a shit that, it happened because I think it, it needed to. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, talking about the early, beginning of the season, I don't think it was so much an issue of him, you know, not playing hard or taking things for granted. I think he's talked about this a lot is he did, he wanted to make sure he came in and didn't clash with Julius, right? He wanted to fit in because we've seen the opposite side of that coin. Um, I think a lot of the criticism that Russell Westbrook gets is unfair. Um, I think his defense is disappointing, but it always has been, right? Um, he had a pretty terrible breakdown against Mills yesterday. Generally, his defense and Patty Mills wasn't good. Um, but you see that where fairly or unfairly, he's getting blamed a lot for not fitting in with with the Lakers starters, particularly LeBron, right? Um, you saw that with Melo when he went to Oklahoma City, right? And a lot of people criticized him for not fitting in with with Paul George and and Westbrook and, and willing to take a back seat. So I'm sure a lot of that kind of stuff is on Kemba's mind. Um, but, you know, just like you might want to have consequences for a person who tries to do too much, sometimes there's got to be consequences when they do too little. Um, and, um, and yeah, Kemba's responded well. Um, I think, you know, you're still, I mean, he, you're still going to have to cover for him on defense, still on right, give him some problems. Uh, he's still, you know, that just that comes with the territory. But like you said, you can live with it when you're getting what you get from him on offense. And you know, when he's playing like that, no one. I mean, Rose gives you that. But uh, as much as you know, we've been pushing for Emmanuel quickly to start. Um, you are going to see a lot of possessions with quickly starting, where he is just going to defer to Julius. I mean, he's a better ball handler than Alec Burks. He's going to be better at getting them into sets. But that's what Kemba offers you. That. Um, IQ and Deuce don't right now. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, and it's just like the the, re- the only reason we wanted quickly to start uh, is more or less one Rose could not like we're seeing it right now, right? Uh, he he his body cannot sustain um, the workload required of a starter over you know he, he just can't have his role elevated. That's just the reality of what it is, uh, and the second reason is because Kemba was not being Kemba, like like he was not playing like that. If he had played like this all season, I would have never wanted him to be benched. I would have never wanted him not to start, but he wasn't. Like that's the biggest problem, uh, and and I don't think that can be ignored. And also, like, look, the final thing I'm going to say about this um, is 
I've seen a lot of people talk about, oh, look, look, the Knicks record with Kemba starting versus when he wasn't playing. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a little bit deceiving because I don't think their record is what it was because Kemba was starting. I think it, it, the record was what it was because the bench was like carrying them. And once and, Kemba... and the starters were playing well, the five and one start was, I mean, it's easy to forget now, but that first Bulls game, the Celtics game, uh, I mean, they, they they play well on offense against the Bulls when they're not turning it over. They seem to do a good job of getting shots. Well, they but, dominated that game until the final, what, like two two and a half minutes, basically. Yeah, um, and then and even the last two games against the Bulls, they've they've played well on offense. They had one horrible quarter where they had ten turnovers, or whatever. But besides that, they generally play the Bulls well. But if you look at that first Boston game, right on offense, everyone was like, it just looked like a brand new team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kemba did have a good amount to do with that. Um, his pl- It was like, this was the part of the season where his plus minus was showing up bad, but I didn't buy it up in the beginning because, um, and I attributed more to the fact that Rose and the bench was that good more than, you know, Kemba's not as good on offense. And then his play really did deteriorate. Um, but, you know, if they can, like, they were playing wide open offense, pushing the ball in transition, and I don't know if he was overthinking it or what happened after that five and one start, but this is a team that's capable of playing that kind of basketball. Um, and I think now the concern turns back to what's the bench going to look like uh, without Rose, right? Because last year, um, last year before Rose was signed, you know, quickly Rivers didn't work that well. Uh, quickly was a good player, and you know, not having Elf in the game helped the bench plus minus. But now either him or I, I don't I Deuce may be out of the rotation again or Grimes. One of Deuce or Grimes is gonna be out. Um but I have a feeling uh, it'll be Deuce. Um but whatever yeah, but if, if quickly struggles, right, to run the he's gonna be the he's the man now, right? Um so it'll be interesting to see. That's kind of where some of the questions now come. But um but if the offense can play like this, the starting offense, um you know, you're probably not going to get that kind of shooting from Randall on a on a regular basis. But the the movement, you know, it, this is also the kind of conditions in which Evan Fournier can thrive. Um, you know, and and Kemba, you know, when Julius is going down one of his rabbit holes, Kemba being able to pull back on the reins and push those buttons. Um, you know, that's we got to lean on his experience there. Yeah, it's funny. I still think there are times where like I'm watching Kemba and I'm like, he's like. It's like he's moving too fast when he had like there was a couple yesterday where he had a switch on Capella or like on Collins and he would like he would just be like going trying to go way too fast and not settle like he'd pull it back out but he wouldn't pull it back out far enough to like then go back out of him. It was just really weird um at times. But it's like, you know, I mean that's it's not a big deal. Um it's just it's just funny to to think about it now or not think about it, but like watching it now because I'm just still like there are still times where I'm like, I still feel like you, there's like more that you can do than, than you're even doing right now, which is crazy to think. I mean, just obviously given what he's produced since he's come back, but um, you know, if, if this is the consistent kind of level we're going to get, I, I, I would expect this team to go on a run and look, you mentioned it just now and well, let's talk about it. Uh, Julius had, probably i mean look i don't even think i think it's it was his best game of the season like he's had better scoring bursts uh individual yeah yeah, like he's he's had better of those things but like i thought in terms of two-way effort consistent energy all throughout no shitty body language no 
you know, just actually playing within himself, but also being aggressive and decisive and all of those things. I, I thought this was his best performance. Um, I thought his defense throughout was really good. Uh, I, the only thing, I, the only thing Collins could do was shoot threes yesterday. He got nothing really inside on Julius. Um, he couldn't take Julius off the bounce. He couldn't post him up. Uh, I thought when he was switched onto smalls, he did a good job. I thought he did a good job in rotations. Uh, he was tight to shooters. He was engaged off ball. And, um, you know, I don't know if you saw the, or I don't know if you remember the, like, cause he was wired up for the game or whatever, but he had, a he had some really fun, like, uh, chemistry moments with Kemba Walker or he was talking like he's like oh you're on you know triple double watch and you know I'll get you the assist but you got to get the rebound and all that kind of stuff and it was like fun to watch him and and just kind of see him play with that happiness again and he mentioned it in his post game also where he was like you know like I feel like I found my joy again or whatever and like maybe that's just a bullshit cliche and tomorrow or Tuesday is going to come back and play like the you ghost know, of Christmas past yeah right he's gonna play like uh, a miserable uh but like you know uh if that's i mean that's what something i've been saying about him all year is like he's not playing with any joy it felt it's felt like he's been playing you know with the weight of the world on his shoulders and everything is so hard and he overcomplicates everything and um you know i even mentioned this uh in our discord chat a few times but like even like I know it sounds ridiculous, and I didn't want to tweet it out because I always felt like if I tweet something like this out, it's going to be taken the wrong way, and people are going to like suggest them like you know being like I don't know sending some like coded racist message at him or something. But like I just like he just has like looked disheveled lately too. Like he like his his beard was all scraggly. He hasn't gotten braided up and anything, and like it was just nice to see him on Christmas Day show up. Everything was nice, you know. His hair was braided. His, his beard was nice, like he got it done. And I was like, like, it just looked like, like, whatever the fuck happened, he chilled out. Like, I just felt like he needed, he needed a day at the spa or something, you know, like he needed to like treat himself. And I don't know what the fuck happened, but like, it looked like that yesterday. It looked like he went somewhere in between the game and, you know, he fucking went happy Gilmore and found his happy place. And he played like yesterday. I thought he played great. And I thought he played like, you know, like, I mean, it, he just played with kind of a freedom uh, and, and just no worries. He didn't play like every decision was weighing so heavily on him. And, you know, that, I think that was part of the three point shooting there. He wasn't aiming those shots. He wasn't taking like five seconds to load up and launch them, which I, I thought was part of the problem uh, with his struggles this season. He was just shooting them and it was great to see. And I'm happy that he did. And hopefully this is a turning point for him this season, because as bad as he's been, it's like kind of amazing. He's been, I think we would all say bad, like really bad this year. And even then, if you just look at his like raw production, it's there. It's about turning that production into, you know, getting it more efficient, but then also like just, turning it into more impactful production, which, um, you know, that's what he did last year, right? He went from being a guy who got a lot of stats to being a guy that got stats that actually impacted the game. So hopefully he can do that again this year. And, uh, you know, again, if him and Kemba turn that around, I, I just, I think this team is definitely going to make the playoffs. Then. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, right? But there is 
you know, the whole, are you making your teammates better? Right. So last year, like Julius really embraced that role. Reggie Bullock had a career year, right? Reggie Bullock got paid this off season. Um, and we talked a lot about how much you know, we have talked, or people have talked about how much the Knicks have missed Bullock, but he's not, he struggled in Dallas. And we haven't talked that much about how Randall, Randall's improved passing unlocked a lot for him, right? And Randall making quick decisions. Uh, I think that helped RJ Barrett last year, who shot 40% from three. Yes, you know, he had COVID and all of that. Um, you know, I mean, the, to, to the extent that you believe those impacted shooting numbers, that's fair. But um, Julius really made his teammates better last year. Um, and I, w- I don't have any stats on this, but it definitely feels like when he plays better, Fournier tends to be uh, tends to play more free as well, and I think you saw that yesterday where Fournier had a solid game. Um, you know, and, and and you know this is the game. If you look at the plus minus, all of the starters were double digit plus minus. Even RJ Barrett, who had a, who struggled a bit shooting the ball. Um. So um, yeah, and, and I think that playing with Joy thing is a big thing with him. Um, you know, he's a very expressive person, so that's why sometimes unfairly people will call out his body language, but. Uh, he really had a disappointing end to the to the previous game, um, where it, it was it was a lot of things, right? But I, I tweeted this out where uh, they were down seven points, I think, or um, late in the game, and he's bringing the ball up, and Breen's like, "Okay, they absolutely need a three here." And then Randall went to the paint, and he got fouled, and then Breen was like, "They need to." I wonder if you make the first and miss the second, um, you know, is that their best option here? Then Randall makes the first. And no, 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 no. Randall missed the first, right? Uh, and then Breen afterwards was like, well, then you have to miss this. And then he made it, uh, which is kind of, I mean, that, that the game was over, right? Um, but it just, and then I think there was, a, this might have nothing to do with it, but afterwards Randall was like, I don't give a fuck. Like someone got him on video saying that. Um, so whatever it is, he seemed a little disengaged at the end of last game. There's frustration builds. He is definitely the kind of player where you know, he can kind of go on tilt. When things start to go bad for a while, it snowballs. But when he's playing with confidence, you see that snowball too. Um, and, and I mean, that affects the whole team. Like it's, and that's a risky thing. I think that that to potentially is, is kind of a drawback for the way the Knicks roster is constructed. But that's the reality of, 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 of um, of life in the in the Julius Randle era, uh, and this is very much the Julius Randle era um, for until they get another star, or until something else happens like that. Um, so, and then yeah, I mean, I think he took the matchup probably with Collins a little personal, uh, but he didn't let it bug him in the way that we've seen that happen in the past, where he'll try to go one on one with someone and it kind of disrupts the flow. But I think Collins had a great series last year, and. Um, and Randall had the advantage today. Um, you know, Collins is a talented offensive player, but he is someone who is a different player when he's playing with Trey Young. And he didn't have that. And, you know, he's not really the kind of, like, you know, uh, Jeff Rasmussen has talked about this quite a bit, right? But there is the common misconception that the best way to exploit a, a poor defender or a vulnerable defender is uh, by attacking him one-on-one. But Julius is very much it exemplifies the fact that that's just a bad strategy with him, right? You want to put him and make him make decisions. You want to put him in space. You want to make him rotate. You don't really want to go one-on-one at him. And so that didn't work out for them. And, um, and yeah, I mean, look, the shooting is nice, but to your point, it's the energy. 
um, not just for him, but how it impacts the rest of the team. And, and I think the entire team had an extra pep in their step and, um, you know, attitude reflects leadership. So captain, um, <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with all that. And like, I don't even think it's that concerning that that's the case because like, that's just, you know, ideally Julius would not be the bellwether for an NBA franchise. Like that's just the reality. He's not supposed to be the best player on a team. Um, he is because that's just what we have at this point. And I know there'll probably be people listening to this, like, no, Kemba's better. And you know, that's fine. I'm not really I trying said to argue. Rose actually, but yeah. yeah, whatever it is. Like I, I I mean, I, I don't. I think Rose maybe has been better this year. I, I don't think Rose is better. Uh, I don't definitely don't think he was better last year. Um, but like, I mean, look, this is the that's but that's part of it, right? Like, if Rose is your best player, then that's what you are as a team. Like, like, and not, this is not Rose in twenty eleven, right? This is Rose in twenty twenty one. If Rose is your best player in twenty twenty one, you're probably a under five hundred, trending downward team. That's just what you're going to be. It's not a knock on Rose. Like he's still a really good player, but that's what he—that's what you are if he's your best player. And he was playing like our best player for a while. Um, if Julius is your best player, you're probably—you're not going to be a contender. Um, like the like the, the great version of Julius we saw last year. Even if he's your best player, he's not going to be—he's—you're not going to be a contender. But you can be a playoff team, and that's fine. But like, like that's why I don't really get upset about—I'm not upset. Like, I get—I've been—I mean, I've definitely gotten pissed at, at Julius this year, but like. That's why I think so many of the frustrations are a function of like what we've assembled and and Kemba's failure to kind of like provide what we expected him to provide to start the year. Now that Kemba's providing it, now we'll see. Now, now I, I don't think Julius has any excuses. There's no excuses now for Julius to be moping around and having these, you know, stupid five, six, seven isolation possessions to nowhere that end up in dumb turnovers every game like like he doesn't have that crutch anymore of like well what can you do because this is what we have to do to and th- this is what it is and like okay now you don't have that um and i want to see how it looks because um you know what we've seen over the last four or five games i think has shown signs to be encouraged about and yesterday was definitely like and I, even in that that loss to the Wizards, which was awful. Um, not all, not, you know, it wasn't even that awful. I'm not going to, I think. And that's not a knock on the Wizards or anything. It's just the way a lot of this shit happened, right? Well, they, but they also just, they, no they made, and they made so much, they, like, they made a lot of ridiculous shots in that game. Like, Dinwiddie banked in a three. I mean, there was a lot of shit that happened. And yes, did the Knicks allowing them to get into a rhythm? Like, yes, all that stuff contributed to it, but they made a lot of bullshit shots. So, I mean, look, they, the Knicks scored 117. Yes, Kemba going off for 44 was a big part of that. But, like, I thought the Knicks did do some good things offensively. And, look, if Fournier makes a few of his wide-open threes that he missed, or Julius did, we're sitting here maybe talking about a three-game winning streak, and, wow, holy shit, are the Knicks, you know, they're they're tied now with Boston. for The Knicks the are back. Record. Yeah, the Knicks have the same record as Boston, and they're actually ahead of Atlanta. And it's like, now, you know, it's a little bit different of a conversation. But, like, um, I thought there have been signs. I've been saying that since uh, their win against Houston. Uh, and I think, yes, the the game against Washington was a little bit of a step back. But like, even then, I thought there were signs. And I we saw more yesterday. Like, they're 
process looks a lot better. And I feel like the defense has been a bit more consistent, even though they have a lot of shitty lapses, especially in terms of perimeter rotations. Um, uh, key to that is probably Mitchell Robinson slowly seeming to find his way. Like another guy as bad as the Wizards game was, like kind of like Julius, like we're as bad as the Wizards game was. Uh, he's kind of sandwiched two good performances around that. Maybe two of his best this season, right? Um, obviously the game against Detroit, which was awesome. And then yesterday I thought he did a great job of anchoring the defense. Um, and just like, you know, do we win the series last year if Mitch plays, if he starts? Like, I don't think we still, I don't, I don't think we win the series. But I do think it's a lot more competitive of a series that Capella can't just singularly dominate and destroy us in. Um, because no, he would so have had But there's the pick and roll, right? And that's, now you're opening up a hole. If we had last year's Mitch against that Hawks team, right? Um, like, it's just, it's not going to be as even, and that's not to take anything from a player who would have ended up winning that battle, I think. Um, but I think that the pick and roll game with Trey Young was, um, I mean, the Knicks were completely, they didn't, they, it was a wash. I mean, it was, that's the wrong word. Uh, he completely destroyed them in pick and roll. It wouldn't have been that lopsided um, with last year's version of Mitch and even this year's version of Mitch. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I just... Mitch is actually... I'm not going to... He's been a lot more frustrating to me than Julius or anybody. He's actually been the most... Fru- I've, I I think, for me, watching him this season has been as frustrated as I've been with a Knicks, like a, a young Knicks player, since Shumpert's fourth year. I, I don't think I've been any more frustrated than I have been in watching him this season. Because... You're expecting this leap. He's promised this leap in a way. Like he's kind of hinted at it, shown it in flashes, showed it a lot last year. I thought he made a significant leap last year. And then to watch him this year, and like, yes, the foot, and you know, he's coming back from an injury. I, I understand all that. I've I mentioned all that a bunch early in the season. I think those are reasons why he started off slow. I don't think I think those excuses kind of wear thin when you're 20 games in, it looks like he's regressing. Um and um, you know, uh, I've just, I'm still, I, I, yesterday was great. The Pistons game was great. Sandwich in between was a complete no-show turd of a performance against the Wizards where he got destroyed by Daniel Gafford, just absolutely crushed by Daniel Gafford. And and I, I don't think he was helped by Julius, by the way, I think. Yeah, a he lot wasn't. Of the Spain pick and roll coverage was on Julius. Like they're just disasters. Um, it, it wasn't, but like my thing is, if you want to be an elite defensive backstop, your job, your the expectation is, when guys are not doing their jobs defensively, you are good enough to cover for it. That's the standard for me. Like if that's the type, because he has no offensive responsibility. He has like he's on like fucking below ten usage right now. Okay, so he's doing. Nothing offensively other than, quote-unquote, setting screens, uh, which he barely does effectively. Um, He's not as much of a rolling force this year, though he's starting to get there, I think. Um, Not coincidentally with better point guard play, but yes, I mean, I think Kemba's helped there. Yeah, 100%. Um, And I just think that, like, I'm not going to start waving my pom-poms because he had a good two game sandwich by three because to me this is not like a julius situation where 
Julius is trying to figure out like, okay, well, I can get 20 and 10, but you need him to figure out how to get that 20 and 10 and how to do that without completely like mailing it in defensively. And that's an adjustment with a new team after it's a very different combination this year than we had last season. So um, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to that struggle, even though I'm critical of it. Like, and he deserves the criticism that he's gotten, even if at times I think a little bit of it is overboard or lacking nuance, but like he deserves all of that, that he's gotten to the point, this point in the season, the mixed stuff for me is a lot less acceptable because it is about, okay, you didn't, you couldn't do, you couldn't show up in prime physical condition that you needed to because of your injury. Do you, do you watch Mitch and think he was like studying film this off season and like trying to figure out the nuances? at that? Uh, he was, I know people, I mean, I've talked to the president about this, like, uh, you know, I think Prez is saying that in reality, these issues have always been there in terms of his processing, but it's exacerbated now with the, you know, if it's 95% of his full athleticism. Uh, but I think last year, his play recognition, uh, his ability to avoid fouls, um, those kinds of things were, were significantly better. Um, and I think that with Mitch, he has a maturity issue. Um, and I think that's probably, he's probably not immature for like the normal 22 year old, probably certainly much more mature than I was as a 22 year old. Um, but this has been talked about, right? This, these are things that have been a steady theme, even last year when things were going well, uh, this was something that was brought up quite a bit, right? Uh, and you see what with the Instagram post, do I think he's toxic? Do I think he's a bad teammate? Do I think he doesn't play hard? No, but I do think that he is someone who has those emotional swings. And it affects him a lot um, in ways worse than it does someone like Julius even. Um, I actually didn't think his performance against Washington was that bad. Um, I know Dinwiddie had a, a lot of great moments. I don't think Mitch was great or as good as he has been at other times. Um, but I, I didn't think it was that bad. I think he has been putting it together more. You're seeing, few, you're seeing fewer just completely useless step stretches, right? Um, I think you're seeing, you know, when he gets gassed, he gets gassed. But I, at this point, I think 22 to 24 minutes is the sweet spot for him. And I think that's the key to all of this. Um, because mental fatigue is a thing, too. So when you're tired, I'm sure we've all gone through this, right? But when you're physically exhausted, um, you know, your focus is, is a little bit lacking. You don't process things as quickly. You don't react as quickly. And that that all combines for a lot of this. Um, so I, And I, that comes back to tips, right? You don't just write, like, if he's playing well, you have to be cognizant of the fact that he's... He cannot do that for more than five or six stretches right now, right? You know, how does that impact him as a player long term and his value is a decision for Leon Rose, but to win games. Um, and the reality is we have we have, I think, four capable centers. I don't think Jericho Sims was perfect yesterday. One thing to your point that he does significantly better than most people in the NBA um, is Jericho Sims sets um, excellent screens. Sorry, not yesterday against Washington, I should say. But he I said, thought you were going to say just like be jacked in general. <laughs> but well, I mean, Mitch is jacked too, and he doesn't set good screens. No, Jericho it's not Sims- the same thing though. He's so like Jericho would if they got into it, like I would. I he does have like, the same name as a wrestler, so that helps. And he just is looks like a fucking brick shit house, and Mitch looks you know feels bigger than he was. But I don't think anybody's looking at Mitch like holy shit, this guy is a fucking physical specimen. Jericho Sims. Every time I've watched him, I'm like. I'm actually pretty impressed. I will say this. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but I've been I'm pretty impressed with how quick, not quick, uh, 
how much his reading of the game and his recognition has picked up since the start of the season. He's still not like uh, he's still like behind on plays, but the level to which he's behind is way less than it was to start the year. I mean, you compare it to like that Boston game where he was like, you know, yeah, he was totally lost. And I actually can't believe that he somehow wasn't a huge minus in the minutes he played. Um, but he was lost. And you compare it to the with Washington where it was like he wasn't lost. He was it was like, okay, you're you're like a half step behind now. You're like just not getting there. Like you knew Dinwiddie was gonna do that, but you recognized it, you know, a step, a step a step too late. And I think he deserves he his improvement in that area has been pretty pretty spectacular, I think, considering his lack of play time. Uh and I don't even think he's been at Westchester that much. So um he must be doing a lot of work. Hey, he, had, he had COVID too. Um, so that obviously with those kind of circumstances, you have to give him credit. You have to give Kenny Payne yeah. a lot of credit yeah. as well. Um, but between you have him, Taj continues to, you know, be effective. The stretch, the stretch five we never just, knew we had. Yeah. I mean, I still don't think that's like a big part of his game, but he's the only player who can execute a post move. And he's very effective in that. Um, he's a good finisher and he, you know, he, he's a good mid range shooter. So, you have other players, so you don't need to play Mitch more than 24 minutes a game. I think that's just the reality, and I think it's uh, it can start to be irresponsible for Tibbs. But I think that speaks to a larger theme where this isn't... I don't think this is a roster where you have these are the 10 guys, and then these are the guys that should also always play. I think for different games, you're going to have different matchups that work. And I think the reason Tibbs doesn't do that is because he wants flow he doesn't want to you know he wants people to develop continuity and all of that but right now if you look at this team right um, when rose is healthy there's really 14 guys you can make a case for that deserve minutes on any that are that that are capable of playing minutes, right you have four centers um you have julius and obi um at the wings you now it's a little bit crowded right you have fournier barrett burks and grimes um and then you have quickly rose McBride, um, I think I'm forgetting someone, but you have so many guys, and the reality is for different games, different ones of those are going to be effective. Um, right now, the way Grimes shoots the ball, uh, and I think it seems very sustainable, I don't see how you take him out of the rotation. Um, but, you know, there's going to be times when you want Deuce in over Fournier, right? Because Fournier is going through one of his nights, or it's a matchup where, you know, you can't hide him on defense, right? Um, there's going to be nights where you want Fournier in over over Grimes or Burks, right? Where he's hot the hot hand, where teams can't really attack him, um, where you know he's effective, right? There's going to be nights where you want Tajin over Mitch, if it's more of a crafty, undersized big, um, but someone that, or, or you know, or if the team is switching a lot on defense and we want to exploit the smalls, right? You know, maybe something like Atlanta. Um, that's where you play Todd, right? So I think that being a, being flexible and not married to one 10-man rotation um, is something Tibbs should explore. But a bare minimum beyond that is just understanding Mitch really cannot handle more than four to six minutes at a time. Well, not um, right now, anyway. Yeah, and, and that's fine. Uh, and But you'd rather have 22 to 24 minutes of engaged Mitch than, you know, 30-plus where he's taking many possessions, where he's just you know, exploited on many possessions. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's starting to get there. It feels like he has a little bit of trust now in Jericho. Uh, 
Jericho should definitely be playing over Nerlens Noel. Yeah, I just, I don't, I I think the... Like Taj, I get, but Nerlens Noel has not been good. I think he's not healthy, but that's all the more reason to play Jericho. The world has moved beyond the need for Nerlens Noel. The Knicks world, anyway. Um, And, you know, I will see if they can find a move for him, but, like, I just don't see it with him. And, you know, he's a good rim protector, uh, he has a penchant for making some spectacular plays defensively. I just, I don't, I, I don't think that's what this team needs anymore. Um, and quite frankly, I would rather open up minutes for Sims. I'd rather open up minutes for Obi than have him. Uh, yeah, that's not opening the second thing. Uh, shout out to Obi, by the way. We still, we made it all the way through this pod. Haven't mentioned the East Bay dunk. Second time Obi has done it in game. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I, uh, I uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'll let you finish. But I was very impressed again with him yesterday. Yeah, I thought uh, he t- t- hit a big three with confidence. I mean, that reverse alley oop, which was thrown late by Kemba, um, just an example of how special he is. I mean, I think when in doubt, throw it up to Obi. It's a pretty good option for this Knicks offense. Um, mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why, why Julius Randle has caught in a lot of criticism because there's a guy behind him who is just a joy to watch every time he plays. So. Yeah, I mean, I, quite frankly, I thought he needed to play more. He should have played more yesterday. Um, refraining uh, criticism this season. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought he was awesome when he did play. And uh, he had like nine points in six minutes or something in the first half. Uh, and he gets all of his points within the flow of the offense. It's not like he's breaking it to ISO some guy in the post and taking a bunch of midi fades or something. He's He's getting it all within the flow of what you want him to be doing. And um, yeah, I just, I can't say enough about how good he's been and uh, continues to be. I thought his defense yesterday was pretty solid again. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't even know what else there is. I feel like every time we talk about Obi, I just say the same things because he needs more minutes. He's playing awesome. He should be rewarded for being consistent. I would like to see him play more with Randall. That's it. Like that's, that's really all I can keep saying about him because it's all true. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just to, to go back to Mitch for a second, like Mitch is, you know, I think you can argue he's the most important player on this team, uh, in some ways, because without him, they don't, Nerland is out right now. Uh, and he hasn't been good when he's played. He looks like he's still recovering from whatever knee issue kept him out of all of preseason and the start of the regular season. Um, and Taj is, he's very good, but he's 35 years old, is it? 36, whatever he is. Like, he's not the same guy he is. So, and and when you, you know, up his minutes, he's, there's limiting, you're not, you're not getting the same thing that you're getting out of him in 10 minutes that you are getting in 15 or 18. Um, and Sims, like, yeah, we just lavished him with a bunch of praise, but he's a rookie and he's, he was drafted 58th overall. He's raw. So, like, while I think he's made progress, if you up his minutes and his responsibilities, there's definitely going to be stretches where he completely struggles, you know, like where he just gets exposed. So if Mitch isn't giving you 24, 25, 30, whatever it is of good minutes a night, that stuff, like the, the five minutes become very, very precarious. And that's been arguably the biggest problem for the Knicks all season is, well, is the certainly on defense. The um, yeah. I, I would say guard play for the starters has been 
at least it was like an issue. Um, but but that's the point, right? Since you have three centers, I think you can go 24, 12, 12. Um, or, you know, or 24, give 18 minutes to Taj and six to, to Jericho. Or, um, I mean, yeah, like I, I think Obi, Obi's, I mean, Obi is one of the five best players on the team. That's the reality of it. So he's, even yesterday, we had a minute for, we had two minutes for Tyler Moon, Tyler Hall and Matt Mooney. But in that game, Obi still played only 13 minutes. Um, yeah. And he probably would have played less if it was a close game. And that's just, um, it's just wasting, wasting a, a player that gives you energy. Um, which is something that the Knicks have lacked. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of the frustrating things with Tibbs is he's quite rigid with the front court positions, um, and I don't think it will be the last time. It's nice that it's great that Julius and Kemba had great games and that they look like they're playing better and they're finding some chemistry, um, but. And that Mitch is getting his legs back under him and all this stuff. These are all great things, but like, I don't think it'll be the last time that we, like, I, even if that stuff happens, I don't think we're beyond the point where we, like, it's frustrating that, and, and it costs us that Obi doesn't play more. Yeah. And, and it's, you need to have an ace up your sleeve, right? We saw that in the playoffs last year. You need to have adjustments, things you can go to when, uh, when, you know, plan A isn't working and we're just, unwilling to tap a, a pretty valuable resource well we're not we're not even willing to experiment with it enough that's that's really my issue and like to tibbs's credit before obi did catch um covid or at least came out with symptoms or whatever it was i i, I don't truly i full disclo- disclosure i'm not i don't know if it was confirmed that he had covid or if he was just in protocol or what exactly happened so i'm not gonna opine on it but um, before he was in health and safety protocols, uh, Tibbs was playing him more with Julius uh, in the preceding three or four games. So maybe that's something that he will go back to and play a little bit more uh, once Obi gets his conditioning back up. Um, because I think it is, I, it's also, look, he didn't play much at all against um, Washington, even less than normal. And he didn't play much yesterday. It's very possible that they're just being careful with his conditioning. Um, you know, he even mentioned that he didn't leave his bed basically for 10 days. So, you know, um, <laughs> it's not unreasonable to be like, all right, well, maybe we won't rush him back. And maybe we want to just be careful, especially because of, you know, we mentioned it, how energetic he plays, right? He, he, um, you want to be careful. You don't want him to like pull something because you're just throwing him back in the mix and playing him 18 minutes a night of his high energy, all oh, like just total balls to the wall style. Um, but we'll see. I, I do hope that is something that, that changes. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the Knicks got, I think it's definitely worth discussing Quentin Grimes because the Evan Fournier of it all, uh, is, is there. Um, and Quentin Grimes continues to impress when he gets minutes. And it's not just that he's knocking down shots. I think it's the frequency with which he seems to find himself on the end of those passes to get those shots and the, tr- the quick trigger he has, which is a stark contrast. Everything he does is a stark contrast to Evan Fournier. And that is something that is hard to shake. There is a lot to say about Grimes. Um, I- Benji was talking about this on Twitter yesterday, Benji Whittles. Um, but um, 
you know, he, there, there are great shooters. There are guys who can hit, knock down open shots. And then there are guys like with his release, he's open even when he's not open because he probably has the quickest release on the team. I don't think it's a stretch to say Grimes is the best shooter on his team. And when he catches the ball, he barely has to dip. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Duncan Robinson in that regard. Um, he doesn't quite have the movement ability yet right now. Uh, he, he moves well off ball, but he's still a guy who's not quite a movement shooter in the same way. You like to see him get set, but he finds space. He knows how to get open. And again, like even good closeout, what is a good closeout for other players is not a good closeout for him. And we can go back to that talk from uh, Bob Myers at the Sloan conference where he's talking about, you know, two inches of two feet of space. The regular season is two inches of space and the playoffs and all of that. Grimes, shooting ability is that difference between him and like, yeah, a guy like Reggie Bullock uh, or even a guy like quickly right now who uh, sometimes struggles to find the same volume of catch and shoot attempts. Um, you know, he has more range than Grimes, but um, you know, Grimes because of his size and release point and, and how quick it is, um, doesn't need any space at all, really, to get it off. And, um, you know, he has a, he shoots an extremely high volume of threes, but he doesn't need to go to four-point range to get that off, which gives a different kind of gravity to your defense, right? Because normally when we think of gravity, we think of guys going out to, you know, four-point range to Clay Thompson and Steph Curry range. But Grimes can give you that without doing that, and then that ends up being a higher percentage shot. Um, I think he's still a bit of a work in progress in defense. You still see him make, but the mistakes aren't ones of effort or even technique at this point. They're really just decision-making. And that's not a processing thing either. It's just kind of what can you get away with at this level? Um, what are some of the newer newer things you need to implement? Um, he has to play. I, I think that Deuce, I've also felt like Deuce needs to play, but if Kemba's playing, if giving you this kind of point guard play, and if IQ can, can hold up well with... Um, with Obi, maybe that part of his skill set isn't quite there. He's not quite the shooter Grimes is, and we know Tibbs like size. Um, but but Grimes is, I mean, shoot, it's 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 a high threshold to really be a high impact shooter, and Grimes already seems to be meeting it. Um, and he and he plays with a ton of energy, so I can't say enough good things about him. Um, you know, the one thing is you'd like him to be more impactful off the dribble and inside the arc. That's probably not coming this season. But um, but you know he's aggressive and and he's not a he's not a non-factor off the dribble right I think he needs to polish that part of his game um, you know he doesn't have the quite the same physical tool or he's not enough of a freak athlete I guess or you know in terms of speed or whatever to just not need the polish to be effective inside the arc but but he's got the ability to finish we know he can get up. Um, we know he's a ball hawking defender. We know he can get out in transition. Combine that with the shooting, like you can't keep him off the floor. Um, I just I, I'm I'm very unsure of what like I don't know why he didn't play sooner. To be completely honest with you, um. He clearly has an NBA-ready two-way skill set. And like you said, like every, I feel like every team has these guys that are they're open, even when they're not open, type of drive and you know, catch-and-shoot shooters. And as good as like, R.J. Barrett improved his shooting, I still think it's going to come around this year. I'm not that worried about it. 
Randall improved his shooting, which I don't think will be 41%. Like, I don't think RJ or Randall are going to shoot the numbers they shot last year, but I do think they're going to end up being like good shooters. Uh, RJ, especially for the rest of his career. Um, Fournier is a good shooter. Kemba is a good shooter. Quickly is a good shooter. All these guys are good shooters. Not Burks is a good shooter. I don't think any of them are guys that you're like, a guy closes right out to you. Doesn't matter. You can just elevate and shoot over them. And don't we complain all the time about how the Knicks have pump fake-itis, right? (laughs) Too many pump fakes. That's part of it, right? When you have such a quick release time, you don't worry about pump faking or is the closeout good enough. Like, Grimes, he's he's closeout agnostic, right? Uh, He got up 12 threes in 25 minutes. And they're all like, yeah, like, they're not bad shots for him, so... Yeah, sorry, I didn't interrupt, but I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, I, I just think that like he has to play more because he he can get his volume up without requiring these open, open looks to be created for him. He can shoot all, all the shots he made yesterday. If a guy is closer to him, he can still get those shots off. And I don't think it affects his percentage that much, Completely, to be completely honest. Um, I think he's a good contested shot shooter i i believe prez described him as a phone booth shooter uh which is the description i really enjoy um he's calling he can get Carol. that shot up yeah uh he can get that shot up in almost any situation and and he doesn't need the time that i mean i, I love emmanuel quickly but him and burks they need time to do their one-on-one stuff right so we love pull-up shooting but that comes at a cost that grimes doesn't have because he, he needs like less than a second to and he doesn't need the ball in his hands to, to create that look well that's why i think also quickly tends to spot up like a few feet beyond the arc because yeah. it gives him more airspace um and and he has the, that lower release too right so yeah but then the, so the defender has to cover more ground to to challenge him um as far Which as is, again Grimes, something Grimes doesn't have to do so yeah right um and you know every t- like dude grimes had what he had a what did he have? A twenty-seven point game. He had what? Well, he had like seven threes. He had a he had five threes yesterday. Could have had like seven or eight. Honestly, he missed a few wide open ones. I would, I would like, love for him to have back. I'm sure he would love to have them back. Um, you know, he's just a guy. Like I think last year, Prez had a stat in college. He averaged like fifteen threes attempted per hundred possessions, which is a super elite number. I think him and Bones were like, yeah, you know, well, neck and neck. Yeah, uh, Bones and, had fourteen. Uh, and and Grimes was at 15, which, for comparison, quickly who shot a lot was about eight attempts per three uh, per hundred at Kentucky. So, right, and so like, I it's not just his efficiency; it's also his volume. Um, I love it. I think he's he plays bigger than his size. I've seen a lot of people like, oh, he's a two. I think he can defend the three. Like yeah. he's they, there are bigger threes. Obviously, that'll give him problems, but like. He's Cam very Reddish. physically developed too. Yeah. yeah, like the Cam Reddish is Cam Reddish was trying to like bully him and shit yesterday, and it was just like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen, dude. Because you're literally, you're literally Cam Reddish. Um, but yeah, like guys like that, they're not going to be a big problem for him. So I think he plays bigger than his position. I also think he can guard point of attack pretty well, so you can legit get one to three uh, defensive flexibility with him in the lineup. Um. And he's just good at finding space offensively, and he's good at moving. Like he, so even if he's not involved in the play directly, defenses have to be aware of him because if they're not, he's going to find a way to get open and make himself available. And I think you can already see 
Julius trusts him. That's a big thing. Like these guys trust him to knock down shots. And um, he just plays with an energy that required, like he just needs to play. Like, I, I don't think it's more complex than that. And to be completely honest, if you told me that we replace all of Evan Fournier's minutes for the season with Grimes' minutes for the season, I think we might be a better team. I really think we might be have a better record. That's not even necessarily because I think Fournier... I don't think Fournier has played to the best of his abilities, for sure. I also think some of that has to do with uh, teething issues in terms of figuring out shit with Julius and how Tibbs has used him. Um, but I also think it's because like, he requires a certain level of catering to and usage and offensive volume and efficiency to get plus value for him that isn't necessarily always going to be there consistently night to night with this team, especially as a starter. Whereas Grimes, if he shot four times yesterday, I still think he could have had a good game. If Fournier shoots four times in a game, there's no way he had a good game. Like it's, it's actually impossible. There's no way he had a good game. Grimes could play 30 minutes, shoot five times. And there's, it's possible he had a good game. Because he can give you good defense, he's a really good rebounder. Like all these things, right? He can create space because of his movement. He's a quick decision maker. He doesn't hold the ball. That's another thing that we need more of. Like that's something we talk about with Obi. But that's something that it, that I would say, like Deuce isn't that. Like, and that's not a knock on Deuce, but Deuce isn't the same type of like connecting piece, right? Like Grimes and Obi are the two guys in this roster that are very well suited to just kind of fill in the gaps offensively and keep things moving along and keep things flowing. Um, and I just think for that reason, if nothing else is why he needs to play more. Yeah. And I mean, um, I will say with McBride, um, I am interested to see. So if we end up with, um, you know, with IQ Burks manning the bench now, um, there is the potential for some ball stopping in that lineup. The ideal situation is they just get out in transition and Obi goes ham. Uh, but I am interested to see that, and that's where I could see McBride's ball handling and some of the the floor generalness <laughs> uh, you saw against um, you know you saw when he played uh, be more useful, right? Uh, but to your point, yeah, for stagnant teams, uh, Grimes gets the ball moving. He's he has. You know, I, I think he's not finishing the ball extremely well within the arc, but he's a good decision maker. He can drive and dish. Um, well, he had a pass him... yesterday that got waved off because they called a foul, but he had a nice lob to Mitch. Yeah, he has good chemistry with Mitch. Uh, I think the 27-point game, there were a few nice drives there, too, for um, for passes. Again, he's, he's not finishing the ball well uh, or scoring well inside the arc. That's the next evolution for his game. Uh, but you need guys like that. Uh, that is kind of what Bullock gave them. That's what Fournier gives them when he's making quick decisions. Um, and I also think that's why, you know, even if you keep Fournier in, Grimes, I think, is a better fit with the starters. Um, just because, yeah, that that kind of a player is a better fit next to Julius, that connecting piece, versus Fournier maybe playing with the bench, um, getting a little more on-ball responsibility, especially with Rose out, could be the the, the way to go. Although, um, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether, you know, with that has an adverse impact on the bench's defense. But I think with IQ and Burks in the backcourt, they can afford that because uh, I've talked about this a lot. I think that your defense is a lot more compromised when you have Kemba and Fournier out there at the same time. Because you really, RJ is a good player on defense, but he's not really someone you want defending the point of the attack. And the reality is, like, most teams have two good perimeter players. So even if you can put RJ on the guard, 
there's usually one other guy who can hurt you that you don't really want Kemba or Fournier on. So if you split them up and you have Burks and IQ who are both pretty good defenders at the one and two, you can hide Fournier on the or and Burks can guard the three too. You can guard you can hide Fournier, right? And against bench units, the probability of one guy who you can hide him on is, is even higher. Uh, so that's that's a switch I would make. Um, but you know, <laughs> Tibbs is gonna tip. So uh, but I think Grimes has shown more than enough to be a starter at this point. Um I'd be pretty interested to know. I wonder if they would trade Fournier. I guess that's where I'm going with this because I feel like I just think Grimes is so good and Deuce. Like we'll see what happens with Deuce when he comes back. But if Deuce kind of shows that what he did against Golden State in Houston wasn't just some, you know, wasn't just like, oh, they, he's not on the scouting report and he's playing well type of thing. Um, and he can actually replicate that type of effectiveness uh, over more minutes, which I am bullish on. But obviously, look, this is always it's always a gamble, right? You can never know that for sure. Um, like if if that's the case, and I just I don't really see what what do we need Evan Fournier for? Like I I don't know, and you know I'm not. I don't want to go. I'm not. I'm not trying to go back and relitigate the offseason and say, "Oh, well, we should have known." And so it doesn't really matter to me at this point because we can sit here and cry about it, or we can figure out what we need to do moving forward. And I still think there's a market for Fournier. Like I absolutely think that if you put him on the market right now, I'm not saying you'd get value back, but there'll probably be a team that look at him and be like, "Yeah, we'll give you an expiring for him. Sure, why not?" Whoa, like you know, Minnesota. Like what the fuck did they? They. they not a free agent destination. They've got, you know, they're over, they're capped out. They're not rich with draft assets. If the Knicks were just like, you know what, let's just dump this guy and open up cap, open up playing time for our dudes. So you would, if, you, when you say dump, you mean trade a pick to, to move no, forward. I just mean trade him for like an expiring contract, like Fournier for Tornian Prince and some other Jake Layman. Like, would the would the Wolves really not do that? Because Torian Prince is currently garbage and so is jake layman or do they have better options available to them than than a trade like that because um yeah fournier is flawed fournier is also capable of shooting they need more shooting um is that a trade they do like is dallas dallas has a bunch of they have some expiring money would they just take fournier like there's deals out there to, to be done if you just want to get off the money and I just wonder because the more I see of Grimes and I feel like the more I see of Deuce, I'm going to look at it and just be annoyed and and want to get Evan off. But um, if Evan's – yes. Uh, but if Evan is going to stick around in New York, um, you know, I just I, – I don't know. Like I, I just feel like you're doing a disservice to yourself in both the short term and long term potentially – by not opening up playing time for these guys, like Grimes and, and Deuce especially, um, you know, would I love to trade Burks? No, I wouldn't, but I probably would in the right scenario, and I think he's definitely going to get you plus value on the trade market. Okay. He's worth a first at this point. I mean, yeah, and, LA, and my thing with him too, my concern with him too, and this is why I'm not totally against trading him at all, is like his inside the art game is just, gone like he can't finish anymore at the rim and so a lot of his game now is just predicated on three-point shooting which he's a really good three-point shooter so that's not impossible um 
But he's gonna get it's like, the line too. Yeah, he has been getting the line a bunch. So he's he still does those two things. I just don't know, like, is he going to be part of the next next team that's competitive? And if not, um, because of Grimes' emergence, because let's say Deuce emerges, is it okay to just move him on then to get more draft capital that you can use down the line to ultimately get the type of player who will be part of the next competitive Knicks team? Um, and I would again, I would only if if they can just move Fournier, then maybe I would do that. I would probably do that instead. I would definitely do that instead. But I'm assuming that'll be harder, and they'll be less willing to do it because it's like, you know, probably not seen the greatest light of like, hey, we this guy was like one of our headline free agent signings. It didn't work, so we punted on him five months later. I'm not sure that's a great signal to send to other guys, but like, um. You know, if that's if they can do that, I would rather do that. But I'm not sure that they will do it or that they're open to it because of the reason I just stated. And if so, like you know, Burks, I really like him. I and I like I think he's a really good vet. Like I like his energy around the team. But um, you know, I would probably just do that then because I really think these guys need to have opportunities to play and they need pathways into the team. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there's also just an argument for consolidating the roster a little bit. Um, Because the Knicks do have, again, they have four draft picks, four first-round picks over the next two years without considering the fact that they have, you know, five or so young guys on the team who you want to give minutes to. And don't they have Uh, a shit ton of 2023 seconds, too? So, like, they're going to have to use these picks in some capacity before... They have to draft them. I, I don't want to be. You don't want to be the Celtics on draft night. All right. You don't want to be that team. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think there are options. Um, I think they would rather trade Fournier than Burks. Um, but there's pluses and minuses to both. Um, I don't know what Fournier's value is. I think Minnesota is a good one. Um, I think Fournier would be great in a place like the Lakers. Um, so on that note, uh, I'm going to maybe upset a lot of our listeners here. No, I wouldn't trade for Russell Westbrook. He is. He does trash. He has a player option next year. Um, I'm. This is the. So I can't believe you tweeted this. When you tweeted this out the other week or something, where you were like, "It wouldn't <laughs> be the worst in the world." I actually wanted to punch you in the face. Uh, but let's let's. I mean, do you think he is as much to blame for the Lakers' yes. struggles? Did you watch him yesterday? He was terrible on defense. I won't deny He's that. He's terrible, period. He tried to fucking dunk the ball. Yeah, he had been shit the entire game, and he front-rimmed it. And fucking LeBron and Melo were wide open in the corner. I know. There's absolutely no way I can talk this. It wouldn't be a cap-crippling thing. We can agree on that, right? Because Fournier is getting paid for two years anyway. Yeah, um, but the only way to make that work is you have to give up, like, either all your depth, or you have to be like, well, we just want to get off Julius's money, too, so let's fucking throw him Well, in. no, like, I mean, you could probably make it, I mean, Fournier is, what, 18 million, right? Yeah. So then you trade him, you trade Burks, you trade Noel, that gets you to 38. And then you could probably add in, like, Taj or something, right? So but you can, I don't want to add Taj. Like, I don't want to get, I don't want to do any of these things. I don't want to trade for Russell Westbrook at all. I, like, I can't think of a player I have despised more and has never given me a reason to regret my feeling that the Knicks should never trade for him. Fair enough. Uh, I think I can think of a couple more, but um, I mean, I think the argument is, yeah, I mean, he, he has talent. He would help you play ideally faster. I think there would be eyesore possessions with Julius, but I do think they need to look at consolidating the roster. And I think something around Noel Fournier Burks, 
those are the three guys I'd look at. I think trading Noel opens up more playing time for Jericho. Trading Burks and Fournier opened up more time for Grimes and Deuce. Um, you know, what does that package with a first or two get you? Does that get you Miles Turner? Um, sorry, say that again. I think that that would be the kind of package Fournier, Burks, and Nerland's Noel. Um, two of those are pretty good contracts. I mean, I mean, the Lakers would definitely do it. Lakers would do it. But so leaving aside the Westbrook thing, which is a little tug in cheek, um, I, I do think the, there's value to using those three with a pick or two to consolidate the roster a little bit. Um, because the reality is we just have a lot of guys who deserve minutes. So the best thing to do is to exchange that for a little more top-end talent. Uh, does that get you, Miles Turner? Those three guys or two of those guys in a first or a couple of firsts? Is there someone else that you would you would want to target? Um, so I was thinking about this the other day. Um, D'Lo, maybe I don't. I don't know. I'm not a D'Lo fan, but you know. No, I, 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 fuck no. I absolutely <laughs> don't want that fucking guy on this team. Um, I mean, you talk about wanting to play faster, Jesus Christ. Uh, if so, this is something I've been thinking about. Um, it's been rumored since last off season. Uh, and then again, I saw a report this season um, that the Hawks would trade uh, Reddish for a first-round pick of some kind. I'm not sure. I'm, you're not. They're not going to get an unprotected lotto pick for Cam Reddish. Um, it doesn't matter. I don't care how many people want to believe in him. I don't care if RP3 Natural thinks he's the next Tracy McGrady, which is, by the way, like one of the most absurd and, <laughs> quite frankly, disrespectful comparisons possible. Like. Tracy McGrady averaged, didn't he lead the league in scoring one year? And he averaged like 30 points a game. He was like, like legit LeBron for two seasons. Like, yeah, he was fucking amazing. Player. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's like, I mean, there was a legit, at his peak, there was like, I remember there was were like constant. Like 38 con- and 8, like something like that. So, And then there was constant conversations of like, is he, oh, like, is he better than, um, who's better, him or Kobe? Like that was like an actual discussion for a couple of years. Um, I, I side note, firm- sorry, sir. Side note, but given it's relevant here, but uh, did you see? I don't know if you saw, but he went and talked to the uh, to the Michigan basketball team, gave him like a pregame talk, and he showed up to the game because like he's friends with Juwan Howard, and he was talking about the the thirteen points in thirty five seconds and all that. It's a pretty cool clip. I'd, I'd look it up. But. Oh no, I haven't seen it. But I'll check that out. Um, but yeah, like it's just. Anyway, I don't want to go too much, but that's first. Don't if you're if you're ever out there and you love Cam Reddish, that's cool. Just don't ever compare him to Tracy McGrady. Get the fuck out of here with that. Second, um, going back to the, what I was saying, what we kind of know and have heard about the Pacers is they want some kind of attractive young piece as the headline of a. If they're going to trade Miles, they need something like that, right? If they had interest in Reddish. And if the Hawks want a first-round pick for Reddish, which we can safely say they do because they've paid, um, they paid Herder, they have Bogdanovich, uh, they have DeAndre Hunter, who yes, he's had injury issues, but I'm almost positive they would prefer him. There, they they do prefer him over Reddish. Uh, they have they they're they have the Trey extension kicking in. They extended Capella last at the end of last season. Um, Okongwu is a rookie, or he's a second-year player, like. They have a lot of money committed here. I think that they just don't want to pay. Like they know they're going to have to pay Reddish, and they don't want to. They don't want to pay him because they already have a, mo- a lot of money allocated across the board here. So this is a situation where I wonder if, like, should 
if the Knicks, if if the Pacers are like, well, we don't want two first round picks for Miles. We want quickly or top in and a first round pick and whatever matching salary. What if they're like, well, what about Reddish? And then you, they say, yeah, we'd love Reddish. And you can go to Atlanta and you're like, well, I'll give you the Dallas pick or we'll give you the Charlotte pick. And you can get Reddish for that. You have to throw in a couple of seconds, whatever. I don't really give a shit about the seconds. Um, and then you can reroute that with a first round, with the other first round pick we're owed, be it the Charlotte one or the Dallas one, to Indiana plus Noel and Kevin Knox for Miles Turner. Like that. I think you'd have to throw in Burks to one of those teams, but yeah. Like, I, I think you'd probably have to throw in Burks to Atlanta, and then Atlanta would send something else to Indy. But um, yeah, I don't think Noel and a first get it done for Miles Turner. Yeah, I mean, it's not Noel and a first, though. It's Noel and a first and, and Kevin Knox, sorry. Very, no, very and Uh Yeah, but then, um, but we're only, the, yeah, I mean, we're only giving up Noel Knox and a first to get Miles at the end of the day. No, I mean, no we're giving up two firsts. We're giving up two okay, firsts because we're giving up a first to get Reddish. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I would probably rather give up Burks than another first, but and I think that's someone Atlanta would have interest in. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the kind of trade I think you make, right? So. Yeah that that to me is like where if this front office is as creative as they've look in the draft, I think the way they've maneuvered around the draft um, shows a level of creativity that. Certainly, Nick's front offices of the past didn't have. Um, and, and with Reddish, sorry, I'll let you finish. But the one thing I'll add is like that's that fits the profile of an Indiana player. Uh, he's, you know, toolsy guy. Um, they did the same thing with Jeremy Lamb, but they tend, because of their player development uh, and the fact that they don't attract a lot of free agents, like he fits the profile of a guy that's interested in. Yeah, that's, that's kind of that, that's what I was thinking too. He's like, and like, look, I, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Cam Reddish fan, but there are people that really like him. Um, he's and, been better. Than, he's, he's improved inside the arc. Um, what he gives you that the Knicks don't have, uh, and that's, I'll follow this up and saying, if we can't make that happen, would you be willing to trade like the Charlotte pick for Cam? Because what he gives for all of, and I love Grimes, but what the Knicks are still missing is like that six nine, the guy we wanted Kevin Knox to be. We don't have that on the roster. He's developing into that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, maybe that'll happen in Indiana again. That's another. I, I don't think they're going to pay up for him, but that would be I think they'd be like, they'd be like, okay, yeah, cool, that's a cool flyer for us. Yeah, we like Kevin Knox, sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we saw yesterday a former Knicks wing who's a defensive menace put up 17 points on 12 shots, which, um, you know, the best French player who played yesterday. Um, but um, but yeah, like I I think that. Um, you know that that w- the question I would have for you is if we can't make it work, and I think that Indiana of late has seemed to back off on some of the the Turner talk. Um, would you just straight up trade like the Charlotte pick for Reddish? I, I've got to be completely honest. I just have never liked Cam Reddish. Uh, That's fair. Yeah, so I don't. I don't like. I know he he had a couple of really nice drives yesterday. But in totality, like, and I know it was not a great situation. Like, they, they obviously didn't have a strong point guard. And it was, it was like, I, I'm not, yesterday is not, like, my sole reason for thinking this. But even yesterday, I thought there were so many instances of just, like, poor feel. And 
I just, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like when I watch him, I'm watching a guy who routinely believes he's be- like he believe. I think he believes he's should be a headline offensive player, and I just don't see that. Like, I, I don't see that when I watch him. Um, and my thought on Reddish has always, and this is my thought on Reddish. I'll tell you this: um, he is a guy to me that's a lot like a Bobby Portis. He's a guy you want to catch on his third contract where you let a couple other teams do the development for you and you let him figure it out and understand what he is and what he isn't in the NBA and what his limitations are and what his strengths are and streamline his game towards those things. And then when he's 24, 25, 26, you grab him and you benefit from the work that other teams did and plug him into a more streamlined role and all of a sudden you've got yourself a really good solid rotation role player who gives you upside on both ends like that's what i think of cam reddish so i wouldn't trade a first for him because i just ultimately feel like he's a guy who over the next couple of years will infuriate you as much as he tantalizes you and then at the end of the day you're going to end up throwing him in a deal or letting him walk or whatever it is and then in two years, you're going to look at him and you're going to be like, God damn it. Why the fuck did we do that? Because like, I mean, not that we have that level of regret with Portis, but like, that's how it played out with Portis, right? Where it was like when he was in New York and I think Fisdale definitely exacerbated the problem with him by just not having clear instructions for anybody on the team, obviously. Um, But like you saw, like I saw the contours of a game. I was like, this guy could be a stretch five. I like, I, I see the vision like stretch big. Yeah, I, I see it. I, I get it. Just get rid of some of these stupid post-ups, get rid of these dumbass off the dribble mid range pull-ups. He loved to take for some reason, get rid of the, get rid of the face up ISOs from 18 feet out. Don't ask him to be a rim protector. That's another, like he, he was good at making rotations and he tried hard, but he's just vertically challenged. Right. So. Yeah. Like I, I never, I, I always felt like the people questioning his effort and stuff. I never really understood that with him because he's, to me, he's like a fucking crazy competitor on the court. He's just, to your point, like exactly what you said. Um, but, like, and then you watch him in Milwaukee. And, like, I actually said it at the time, too. I was like, I would keep Portis. I think that he's a guy in a year or two years, like, you know, you get him with the right coach, a coach that has a clear vision and won't accept his bullshit possessions. You'll have a good player there, like a really good role player, a useful role player. Um, and now, you know, you watch him last year with the Bucks, and you're like, Yep, well, that's what he is. And I feel like Reddish is... Obviously, they're totally different archetype of players, right? But they're similar in the sense... They even drafted in the in the similar uh, range-ish, right? Like, I think Portis was 15, 16, something like that. Reddish is obviously a little bit higher, 11th. Um, but, like, guys that drop a little bit in the draft, have a little bit of pedigree, um, take a few years, bounce around the league a little bit, and then, boom, they figure it out. And like that's what I kind of think of a reddish. I think Frank is probably in this category too. Uh, he had a nice little game for Dallas yesterday. I don't think he's gonna like. I think that whenever he ends up being the type of valuable rotation piece that I think a lot of us have believed he can be, I don't think it's gonna be with the Mavericks. I think it'll be with a third team or a fourth team. And it's okay. It takes guys a lot of times, but you want to catch them at that right time. And I feel like if you're the team that gives up a first for reddish, you're gonna end up doing. You're gonna trade the first round and then you're going to re-sign him to a contract and then you're going to end up doing all that legwork to develop him 
and help him figure out his game. And then ultimately, you're not going to be the one that benefits from it because you're going to lose patience. And that's just the reality of it. So, like, that's my long-winded, very, um, very philosophical thought on Cam Reddish. I don't know if any of that made sense to you. No, uh, that makes sense. I, I'm a little more bullish on Frank, but um, yeah, like I think um, I, I, I'm not knocking down the door to trade for Reddish uh, at this point. Um, I think he he's a good defender with size who can shoot the ball. That's always something that works well. But you wouldn't. I mean, we already have crowded wing rotation. Um, I think that it's also. It'll be. This is an interesting stretch coming up. The Knicks have a lot of winnable games. They need to consolidate the roster. The rotation is getting crowded a little bit as guys come back from COVID, and a lot of young guys are taking advantage of their opportunities. Um, and I think we also are a little bit at a crossroads. Uh, if you look at the NBA standings in the Eastern Conference, there's only one team below the Knicks. But the, or sorry, there's one team below the Knicks in that fracas, which is the Pacers, who is a game back. And then you have the two teams that have kind of uh, separated from the pack already. Um, so the Knicks are in a crowded space. And what direction they decide? I mean, Tibbs is never going to tank. But what direction the front office might decide to go may be determined in the next few games. Um, so, so, I mean, this, I, is, I mean, this so is, is the Knicks. This is the Knicks' upcoming schedule. I'm just going to read off a bunch of these games. All right. This is like over the next three weeks. At Minnesota, at Piss, at Detroit, at Oklahoma City, at Toronto, Pacers at home, Celtics at home, away to Celtics, Spurs at home, Mavericks at home, Hawks away, uh, Hornets at home, Timberwolves at home. That takes us to, and then we'll say Pelicans, Pelicans at home. That takes us to January 20th. If the Knicks can't if they're still in the same i mean they, they'll be still be in like this uh this group this clump of teams but if they're still on the lower end instead of towards the top end i think and there will be some more separation right you'll start to see right, um, right now they are <clears throat> excuse me they are of the six seed wizards they're two and a half games back three um, the last in the loss column, but that would be um, that would actually be one in the loss column if, if shit like Dinwiddie hitting a bank in theory would didn't happen, right? Um, so that difference between 6th and 12th probably is something like 5 or 6 games on January 20th, to your point. So it'll still be compressed, but we're going to start to see that gap uh, whatever, whoever is there to widen, right? So Yes, yep. Um it's uh, it'll it'll like this is this is the season. I think this this next three or four weeks is the season. I uh, my other theory, my uh, cockamamie theory, has been that the Knicks need a road trip. I think the Knicks have needed a road trip for all like a while. I think being on a road trip forces you to have to like only be, especially in these COVID times, uh, only be with each other, and you don't really have a chance to like. You know, you don't have a chance to go home to your family and your, you know, uh, to your girlfriend side or your piece. mistress or your side chick, right, or whatever it is. You don't have that option on the road as much. You just get groupies to come to your hotel room. So that's a little bit different, I guess. But um, either way, I think it just forces you to to kind of be together. And 
it also forces you to probably have tough conversations because you can't avoid each other, right? Like if Evan, like if you're playing, if Julius is pissed off at Evan, he's going to be like, they're, they're, they're not, they don't get to go home after the game and not see each other. They're going to go to the hotel and they're going to like sit on the bus together. And then it's going to be like, dude, pass me the fucking ball. Like, you know, like you're going to have to have these conversations because you're just going to be with each other for so long. And I think um, this road trip, it's four games. I think this is, I'd argue this is the most critical part of the entire season. Um, this this upcoming four game stretch. I think if they can have a three and one stretch, it would go a very long way to turning things around. I think if they go two and two or worse, I, I don't think they turn it around. I, I think that's I, I I would be shocked. I guess I just put one way to put it. I know it sounds weird to like two and two and three and one shouldn't make a huge difference. It does to me. I don't know. Who cares? I don't need to explain it. It's my fucking podcast. Um, that's just how I feel. Um, but I, I thought they needed a road trip for a while, and I think this road trip will show a lot. I think it'll show the front office a lot too. Um, so, yeah, and I agree with your point. Like at some point, you're gonna have to, you know, you're gonna have to make a decision because you can't sit around hovering. You can't keep sitting in like the twelfth spot, being like, "Well, we're only two and a half games out of the sixth seed," or "We're only like." You got to make a run at some point, and the Knicks haven't made a run since the start of the season, right? Like the, the only run they made was when they started five and one. Since then, they've gone what uh, ten and seventeen, so not inspiring basketball. I think they have something like the twenty second worst net rating in the league. Maybe that's better now. I don't know, or twenty second best. I don't know how however you want to phrase it. Um, so you know, we'll see what they do, but. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this this stretch is critical. And I guess if there is one consolation, not a consolation, but something of note, I believe the Knicks clinched the season series against the Hawks yesterday. So um, that's something to keep track of. I'm pretty sure they've split now with the Celtics, 0-2 against the Raptors, 2-0 against the Sixers, 0-1 against the Wiz, 0-1 against the Cavs. Uh, so these are all things that will probably matter because of how, you know, tight the entire conference is at this point or at least that group of teams is so um yeah i agree i think this stretch is as important as any for the knicks and and for the front office especially yeah and i mean on that note right what are i mean like how do you see this play, uh, playing out i think that the fact that they're coming on a great stretch i've mentioned this a couple times without Derek rose uh, does give me a lot of consternation um you know what are kind of do you? I mean, if if they don't do well in this stretch, do you see the front office trying to get picks? Do you see them going for younger players? Um, you know, if they do well or if they're in contention, do you see them trying to push some chips in to become buyers? Uh, I think a guy like Miles Turner actually fits both of those plans because you know, if you do want to kind of hit reset a little bit, he is a young player um, who's under cap control for another year. Um, but obviously, if you want to upgrade, he also gives you a talent upgrade. Uh, you know, do you think there's going to be heavy implications, or no matter what, do you see the Knicks kind of staying pat or you know, not making any major moves, uh, regardless of what happens between now and uh, January 20th, as you said it, or shortly after the trade deadline? So, uh, Berman was on KFTV last week. He said that he thought they would, they wanted to try and. He was very. He worded it in a very Berman way. That's like made it seem like they're going to like, you know, aggressively pursue winning at the deadline or something. But I thought the way he worded it was very vague. He said something like they 
would want to make moves to turn things around, which can mean any number of things, really, if you think about it, right? Like that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to start trading, you know, go fucking whole hog for like Dame or something like that. It could mean, I, I agree with you. I think Miles Turner is a perfect example of a guy who, um, even if you think the season is getting away from you, trading for him doesn't need to be a sign of desperation, right? That could be a move that you're like, Look, yeah, exactly. this season I mean, is what it is. Both timelines, right? So, right, it's like th- that's a move where you can be like, this season is what it is. But he's a guy who is twenty five. He's gettable right now. We want him in house, and he fits our timeline moving forward. So even if we miss the playoffs this year, that's okay because this is a guy who's going to help us get there next year and the year after that, and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there are moves to be made. I I feel like I agree mostly with what Berman said. I think that they will want to make moves that help them be a better team. That doesn't necessarily mean packaging, you know, mortgaging the future for trading. It doesn't need to mean that. I don't think it does mean that. It could also mean that they think trading Fournier or trading Burks helps them because it gives these young guys a bit more minutes and they don't see the drop off as that significant. It wouldn't surprise me if they're intern internally they feel like there wouldn't be much of a drop off from moving from a Burks or a Fournier to giving Grimes more minutes or giving Deucemin more more minutes. You know? Um I don't see Kemba getting moved at this point, especially if he keeps this up. I don't think you can trade him. Um just from a total PR perspective. Um well, what, what if that he continues to play well, but the Knicks you know, fall out of the playoff race? I don't see it. I still think that they would be like, well, it's not him. We have to figure out ways to get well, I, I think they him, would. But it would be a situation where, you know, would there be a team that's willing to give up a first or a young player because you want guard help, right? I mean, there's always a price for anybody. But, like, realistically, I don't know what team is going to be like, well, without Kemba, we can't go anywhere. And then that team would also need to have shit that like, and be and be willing and able to make an offer that the Knicks would be like, well, you know what, we, we can't not take this. Um, I think that'd be very very hard. I I just don't see it. Um, Rose won't get traded because that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's very it's it's tough because I do think the Knicks have to make decisions. I just don't know what those decisions are going to be because to me the obvious one, like if there are obvious decisions to make or easier ones to make. To me, it's guys like like I think Noel needs to be gone. Uh, I think, and I think one of Fournier Burks probably needs to go also. Um, whichever one depends on a variety of factors, which we've talked about already. Um, but I will say this uh, before we wrap up here: like, I mean, I think... who would you target in that case? Like, in the situation, so do you have targets beyond what we've talked about? Um, a in the scenario where the Knicks are competitive and looking to upgrade, or B where they're maybe hitting reset, you know, are there guys, you mentioned Prince from the Wolves, if we're just looking to dump Fournier, anything else that comes to mind for you? Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, one that I've been kicking around, and I just don't see Golden State doing it, but like, Steph? I, yeah, Steph, yeah, I would like to make him play for Steph. Um, I, I do think that like, they would, I know that, Looney is a Kerr favorite, and I know they have Wiseman. I do wonder if they'd still like to get a little bit more athletic at the five. I wonder if Mitch would be attractive to them. Um, and I wonder if Mitch plus a first would get you something like Moses Moody. Uh, I don't know. I'm just speculating. I don't think it would, 
But like, is there a world where Looney gets a severe injury and now they desperately do need a five? And, you know, Mitch, is he the best? I don't know if they even necessarily want Mitch because he's not. They might the best prefer Noel, right? If they are, if they have Wiseman as the young kind of athletic big. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just, I don't know if they'd want either necessarily because of how limited they are with the ball in their hands. At the same time, they had a lot of success with JaVale McGee, who, yes, he has ability with the ball in his hands, but uh, that's not necessarily the thing that is, it's a gift and a curse. I, that's the nice way to put it. Um, so I don't know, but that's something to consider. I would, if that's on the table, I liked Moody in the draft. I think you did too. Um, so that would be something I'd consider. I don't know. Uh, also, somebody from there, like, I just, I wonder if that's something that would attract them. Like, hey, we'll give you Mitch and Burks and a first for Moody. Would I do that? Uh, I don't know. I, I think so. I think I probably would. Um, and we do know they but, have history with Burks. He played I mean, on a shitty team, but he was quite good in Golden State. So yeah, and I don't think they had. I didn't think they traded him because they were just like, well, this team sucks. Like just no, they would. Philly traded for him because they were a contender, and Golden State was basically tanking. So yeah, right, exactly. So um, that's something to consider. Uh, looking around the league, I mean, I mean, would you trade for a guy like Harrison Barnes or anyone in Sacramento, really, or? Barnes is interesting, but I just don't. I don't think he's. I think he's a. He's a four. He's best as a four. So I don't know if I'd really want him because we already have our issues at the four. Um, I mean, would the Pelicans trade Valanciunas? Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure, but he's an interesting player to me. He can shoot now. Uh, he's a really skilled post scorer. He's a pretty good passer. I think. I think his defense is not spectacular, but positionally he's in the good. right spots yeah exactly yeah. positionally good i think tibbs would really like him 100 percent uh i think him and randall would actually play well together even though valanchunas requires usage um i think he would get more usage in or not more usage but i think he would get usage in new york um that's a guy i i would i would consider him um i would the grizzlies are interesting i'm not sure what's going on with them they have a lot of pieces i'm not sure what they're doing I would always kick the tires on somebody like Anthony Melton. Utah, I don't, they're out picks, but like, would they have interest in a Fournier? Because like, they know they're not a free agent destination. They've shown that awareness before. Um, taking a guy like him who's under contract, who obviously has a relationship with Rudy Gobert. Um, I wonder if they'd, they'd think of that for one of the, I think they might have expiring contracts. I'm not sure. I'm just spitballing here. That's a team I'd look at. Um, yeah, maybe they trade a guy you like know, Royce uh, O'Neal, right, or something like that. Yeah, um, something like that. I, I don't know. Although he's uh, a four too. The Blazers are one that that the Blazers really interest me because I don't see what the fuck. Like, if they're trying to win, they're in a pretty shitty spot. Would they be interested in somebody like Fournier? Because they've shown previously that defense is not the highest priority for them in trades and stuff. Um, and they always, you know, whatever. But like. They could probably use some more shooting, offensive firepower. Fournier might be interested in them. Mitch Robinson might be of interest to in them, considering their center situation. Um, you know, Julius obviously is something I, I think they would definitely have interest in Julius, but do they have anything like you know, we talked about CJ versus Julius a few pods back. I don't think they're at that point right now. Um, and I don't think the Knicks would do that trade right now either. So that's not even really under consideration. But Fournier, yeah, I think. They might have interest in them. I think that might give you something for them that, that could be a value. Um, 
Denver maybe know, for those... Fournier. I mean, they they like shooters. They like guys who can put the ball on the floor. He seems like he'd be a good fit with with Jokic probably. Yeah, Denver. Denver's definitely one, and he obviously got drafted there. Uh, I think Connolly was in the front office when they drafted him, so he might still have. And that's a team that has a bit of a. They have a crowded. I mean, they're really their crowding is in the backcourt, which um, the Knicks are also crowded in the backcourt. So, but I mean, a guy like Monte Morris, you know, if they're willing to give him up, um, you know, they have Bones. Murray's coming back. That could be interesting, right? I don't know if that's one for one value or whatever, but yeah, or or even something like you know, I think Joe Michael Green plus a contract a pick or something you know would they do that i don't know would the knicks be interested in that i have no idea i do and think they'd green be interested probably in probably green. best you think they would can he play the three to michael yeah i mean no, I, I think mean, he's more of a four or five yeah so that would but be i but i also think he's the type of four or five that tibbs would actually be like open to playing small with you know um so i do wonder if like that would be on the table um, and playing small, you mean like playing him with Randall? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, those are probably the teams that come to mind. Milwaukee comes to mind, but like, I don't think they want to go into luxury tax, and they might get into luxury tax territory not this year, but next year if they trade for Fournier. So I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of moving pieces, but um, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think that um, it's interesting. Yeah, and I, I think that some of the teams are tougher because. The Knicks have young guys who they have young guys who they could trade for a star, but there aren't really stars available. Um, and then they have older players who they might want to move, but may not quite be worth just a straight first. Um, so it's um, you know, there's a very small set of trades that I think work for the Knicks, but um, it's out there and they do have some flexibility. So. Um, yeah, now I'm with you. And I just before we wrap up, I did this is what I wanted to say is. Uh, some of these, you know, quote unquote problems the Knicks have, you know, too many guys, uh, you've got to say the Knicks under this front office, their drafting has been early returns anyway, are very, very solid, really promising. Um, and you know, shit, um, as is the player development, right? It's these players have improved when getting here. This is not Kevin Knox balling out in summer league and then falling off the map. So. Yeah, no, this is it's definitely a um interesting thing to to see happening and a great thing to see happening. And like, you know, because of it the Knicks have some tougher decisions to make, but you know, those are those are good problems to have. And it's been a long time since the Knicks had problems of like, well, you know, we have a lot of young guys that we'd like to get more minutes <laughs> um and deserve more minutes. Not not just because we suck, but because they're actually good. Um so yeah, I mean, yeah. This is, I mean, this is the most young talent the Knicks have had. I can remember really um, ever in our lifetime. Hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, the clo- you, maybe when you had Frank and KP, just because KP is probably still at that time a better prospect than anyone on the roster right now. But not, well, I mean, KP maybe sucks, RJ, so. RJ is on that level at least, I guess. But yeah, um, KP's a loser. So KP does suck. But like, yeah, like it's and you have really, I mean, four or five guys who look at minimum like rotation pieces right so i mean i think realistically at the low end i would say like rj quickly obi uh grimes are four guys that you can look at and are like they they can deliver starter level impact like i would put in there too but uh, i haven't seen enough of him to like 
have that confidence yet. I agree. Like I think he looks he looks like that. I just I just need to see more is all. Um and Mitch obviously flashes that every now and then when he deigns to stop and, being fat. And Sims with his size I mean look, a big Norville Pell got minutes last year, right? For a mm-hmm. playoff team. Like in that world, if you look at Sims physical tools on its own, without even looking at the improvement he's made mentally, like that looks like a guy who can who's gonna be at least at minimum like on and off NBA rosters for the next ten years. If not, I mean, I'm pr- I'm pretty bullish on I, I've expressed bullishness on Sims before, but like again, I, it would not totally shock me if Sims continues to make some steps in terms of recognition and all these kind of things, and and then you're you know, talking about yeah starter type player and you know maybe someone who gets paid at one day. So it's also it's also just like it would not shock me if they looked at him and they already view him as like maybe not Tibbs because we know Tibbs is. I think Tibbs is higher on Mitch Biden in the front office. Um, but I think it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if the front office was tracking his development and they were like, we think he has a better or more upside than Mitch long term. It would not shock me at all, to be completely honest. Um, and even if but, he does, then he's, you know, cheap contract for. You know, yeah. And to your point, like he looks like a guy that's going to hang around the league for a while. So you got that with the 58th pick. You did something right. Um, and I think the biggest thing, too, is like there's like a logic to all of these picks there's like a thing you can point to that like oh consistently the knicks are looking for this type of player and also fuck we even forgot him uh rokas uh yokobitis has yeah. been great in barcelona too and that's a guy it they brings a very very different skill set than the current knicks guards right not very sorry i shouldn't say that but uh you know quickly, well, he's a more downhill of a player he's a more downhill yeah he probably is better at getting to the rim than certainly quickly I've been impressed with what I've seen from Deuce relative to college. My theory on Deuce had always been um, he is underrated as a driver because West Virginia would park too big in the paint and, you know, he just would never get to run pick and roll. Um, You saw that in the last game. He was very aggressive getting the hole in transition. He's got good explosiveness. But Rokas is a little bit more of that physical driver. Like, even now, Deuce doesn't really get his body into guys when he drives. Which is weird considering how like aggressive he is on defense and um, you know, how well he's built. And Yokobitis is probably you know the purest point guard on the roster, right? Uh, and I'm not talking about Mark Jackson throwing entry passes. I'm talking about a guy who just like the the pace in pick and roll, you know, just control of speeds, um, you know, the the craftiness, the handle, like all of that being there isn't going to turn the ball over or get stripped. The one dribble pull up, two dribble <laughs> yeah. pull up. Uh, who he is who, at the elbow. Who is Rokas at the elbow, though? And, the, and he's a competent shooter, right? Um, I mean, that's like... like I could see that Rokas deuce quickly being high-level backcourt players for a long... Like, we haven't had guards like that with that kind of optimism. Like, I, I think one of those guys could be the point guard of the future. There's a high chance that it's one of those guys, at least. If not two. Like, you know, deuce and... Like, all three of them can play point. Um, it probably... Gives quickly a little more flexibility if Rokas comes over um, to not need to be um, the primary on-ball guy um, and to play more of that that two-guard role. Um, but um, but yeah, like we haven't had that kind of guard play optimism. That's what we've been screaming for about for the longest time. And um, and yeah, I mean, Jokovitis, I think he looks very pro-ready. Um, and I think he's answered a lot of like there's questions about would he get shooting volume up? He's had a nice high release. He takes a lot of them out of the pick and roll. There are questions about his explosiveness. 
Um, he doesn't blow by guys the way like you know the PD Web heuristics would want you to have from a point guard prospect, but he gets to the rim a lot, and he's very physical and crafty when he gets there. Um, and he's a, he's a he's a plus defender. So, um, I mean, yeah, like we just mentioned six guys or seven guys, I think. So, yeah. Um, um, but that again, it it means the front office is going to have to be. It's an interesting position to be in. Uh, how they play this, um, you know, do which some of them are going to go, some they're going to stay. Some of these vets become a little bit expendable. Um, uh, fun times. Yeah, looking forward to all these decisions that I don't have to make. Uh, lucky us. Uh, we can just criticize them if they go wrong. So that's always nice. Uh, all right. I think that's a good place to end it. Stacy, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, I'm working on a piece that um, I'm doing on year two of Quickly, just some of the things he's improved. What? Um, How much you what, love him. Uh, I, I've been trying to be more objective on him this year. Um, and the other thing is uh, I'll also plug an article that's already out by Perez and Tyrese on uh, the Knicks rookies. And um, a lot of you know, my optimism about Rokas is from that article. But that's probably one of the better in-depth breakdowns I've seen of, of really all three of them, Deuce, Grimes, and Rokas. I think there's been more written about about the, the first two because we've seen them more. Um, but if you're interested in that, uh, and it's, it's really an excellent piece, um, Prez and, and Tyrese both did a great job. So, um, uh, yeah, check it out. It, it got shouted out. Well, it was not directly shouted out by Moreau, but um, he, uh, he tweeted about Strickland right afterwards. And last thing, Strickland, 10,000 followers. Thanks to everyone um, who supported us. Uh, it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been really fun. I'm really glad I've been able to be a part of it. So, uh, so thanks. Um, yeah, I, I have nothing personally to plug. Uh, and I'm definitely not going to plug anything written by Prez and Tyrese. Uh, absolute hogwash. Tyrese. Cry Reese. No, it was actually a really, really good article. Uh, everybody should check it out. Also, Jack wrote a very good article. Uh, Jack Huntley uh, wrote a very good article on Strickland about uh, Tibbs' accountability and Julius Randle. Um, hopefully, it is an obsolete article that we never need to rehash uh, because Julius turns it around starting with yesterday's game. Uh, but we will see. Either way, worth, worth your time to read. Um, other than that, I got nothing to plug. Uh, so I hope everybody had a great uh christmas holiday weekend i hope everybody has a great bullshit this is like the most bullshit work week of the year right so uh, i hope everybody has an enjoyable bullshit work week and has a great new year and uh, i will see everybody on friday Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New 
new episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.